the Lord gave us one mandate for this year. And the more I think about it, the more I consider it. It may be a mandate for the year and he may change it to a degree next year or whatever or going forward, but it's, it's as if it's a mandate for life. To build his house. David, to me, when I read 2 Samuel, I believe it's 2 Samuel 7, or even Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 17, David has brought the ark of the Lord back to Jerusalem. The ark is where his presence is contained. There's two cherubim, two angels on the cover. And the Lord says, I will dwell in between the two cherubim. Inside the ark is simply the commandments of God. It, it is this, this picture of the presence and the word being one. It's this picture where in our day today, if we're going to see the full move of the Lord amongst us and in us, we must marry his word and his spirit together. In that the ark, this chest, there was the word, the commandments of God, and his presence would rest upon the ark. David, in pursuit of the heart of the Father, in pursuit of his presence, did everything to bring presence and, and 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 he made one mistake in bringing it by putting the presence on the cart pulled by oxen when the Lord had said that his presence should only be carried upon the shoulders of the priest it would be carried on men men would carry his presence it was a, a foreshadowing of our day where we would become the temple of the Holy Spirit and he would dwell in us and live in us and we would become the house of God. And we, you know the story, Uzzah, the, the, the cart stumbled going down the road and, and the ark began to move and Uzzah presumptuously put his hand out and touched it and he died. It's this picture that no one no one can presumptuously touch the presence or do with the presence and handle his presence any way without it being his way. The, the ark was sent into Obed-Edom's house because David, David didn't know what to do. David said, how can I bring the presence to Jerusalem? He longed for the presence of the father to be where he was and, and it was in Obed-Edom's house and he didn't know what to do. David was upset and he hears that because Obed-Edom listen to this hosted the presence of God Obed-Edom took the ark and gave it a resting place he was hosting the Lord's presence. The Bible says that all of Obed-Edom's house was blessed Amen. because he hosted Amen. This is all Old Testament. But we see what, 
the Lord always wants to do. David reads the, the commandments and he sees that they were to, the, the priests were to carry. They would, there on the ark, there would be these rings like on the side and you would stick these poles in and the priests two up front on either side and two in the rear on either side and they would place it on their shoulders. David says, okay. David gets the worshipers and they go before the ark. David joins the worshipers and he is one of them and they are worshiping, just giving glory, giving honor as they bring him in. They bring his presence in and David says, I have this beautiful house, but the Lord has no place for him. He says this to the prophet Nathan and, and the prophet Nathan says something to David that has, that has altered the way that I see the way the Lord walks with us and does things with us. Nathan looks at David and says, the Lord is with you. Do all this in your heart. In other words, Nathan said, the Lord has been with you for years. Do whatever stirring in your heart, because if he has been with you in all of these other things, surely he'll be with you in this. Just go make the decision and do it, David. Here's the beauty of the Lord. I believe the Lord loves to see what's in our heart and what we want to do. Nathan goes back home and that night the Lord says, no, David wants to build me a house. He says, since I brought the children of Israel out, I have not dwelt in a house, but I've dwelt in tents as we moved about. It was as if the Lord was marveling was in the heart of David for him. He's concerned about my resting place. He's concerned about giving me a place to rest. You know, this is, this is, he's telling us as pastors and leaders, fivefold ministers to this day, he's telling us something that stirs inside, something that will grab capture his attention. You desire to build me a resting place. You're desiring to do this for me. The Lord stops. He, David captures his attention. But he said to Nathan, nevertheless, David cannot do it. His son will build it. He cannot because he's a man of war. There's too much blood on his hand. And yet, this, this was what was in David's heart. To build the Lord a house. And I believe it should be in ours. That we're in this life reacquiring territory that belongs to him. That his kingdom may fully be established. That the day may come he will set his throne up here upon this earth. We are setting the groundwork and building 
for the life that is to come. And yet too many of us are worried about building our own houses, building our own empires, where the Lord is looking for one whose heart is completely sold out to him, completely loyal, who says, I want to build you, give it all to you. And so we, the Lord says, I don't know why our internet keeps going in and out right now, but I'm seeing that one go down, I'm seeing this other one go in and out, so be it. But the Lord said that his desire is to build his, his house. And we've heard so many other people talk this. I've heard it mentioned multiple times. There's a song written, build your church this year. There's this thing that the Lord is trying to weave within our heart to take our focus off of us and return it to there is a global resetting and the enemy has tried to take it all. And the Lord says, it belongs to me. Where's my church? Where is the church that will awaken and arise in the midst of what is taking place to build my house? And so we have been in one series for six months and we just started another series at the beginning of this month. This is the third week entitled Building His House. It's not ours, it's His. And two weeks ago, we began talking about this passage in Deuteronomy. We, we really didn't touch it. It was an introduction. And then last week, the Holy Spirit led us in a totally different direction on unity. It's the blueprint blueprint for possessing his promise. This life is about him. It's his. It's not about us. We love the promises of God. The problem sometimes with is that we taint his promise add our flesh into it and want it the way we want it. But it's his promise. It's not ours. His promise goes along with his plan for your life. 23 years has led me to this place of seeing that There is no two lives in the kingdom that are the same. There's no two callings that are the same. They may be similar, but they are not the same. There's no two journeys that are exactly the same. His journey for you is also his promise for you. Because it leads into his plan for you. The journey in this life may not necessarily make sense to you, to those around you. It may not feel good. And yet if you walk in heaven rejoices. We must determine if we're living for those around us 
or if we're living for him. I know we sing it. We say it every Sunday, every other service. But when there's no service and we're in the regularities, the mundane of life, are we living for you or are we living for others around us? Are we living to be seen? Are we living for anything else than for you? Because if we're living for him, my journey is unto him. The call on my life is unto him. The plan is unto him. And it may not make sense to my carnal, natural mind, but to him it is beautiful when I walk it out. And in building his house, his way, won't always make sense. But it will be beautiful in the end. And over the last several weeks, in our podcast that we do on Fridays, I have been talking about holiness. Why? Because the Lord has highlighted it. And I've, I've begun to see others talk about it in various forms. And one of the blueprints or one of the, you know, if you have a blueprint for the building of a house, on that blueprint, there are multiple things that would be there and there would be dimensions and measurements and there would be a wall here and a wall over here and it would be maybe a garden here it would be all of the dimensions and things listed that will put together the house that eventually or building or whatever that someone will at some point occupy live in so it is with him that there is a blueprint and there are multiple things on this blueprint that will ultimately come to the fullness and the place of his house being built and I believe one of those is a people who live in holiness <laughs> Hebrews we're, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 7 most of the time but I want to read Hebrews 12 14 one more time It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all people. That should be your pursuit, is that I live in this place of peace with all men. No guarantee that they will do the same toward you. But it is the pursuit of my heart. And holiness. Pursue holiness. Let this be the pursuit of your life. It is a building block. The blueprint. Without which. No one. 
He didn't say yet, yet, no one except your cousin or your, your brother over here or this person. No, he says no one without which no one will see the Lord. There's a way of living that he has for us because he is holy and pure. I asked this question on Friday. Just how pure is pure enough? What level and depth of holiness should I live? What measure of excuse or excuses do I give to my life that I can live the way that I want and not his way? I gave three things two weeks ago about holiness from this passage. Holiness is the magnifying glass by which I am able to see him. It is to be a distinguishing mark about us as believers that is clearly seen by all. Your life, my life, ought to look different to everyone we encounter. Your life, my life, ought to feel different from everyone that we go by. Your life and my life ought to sound different to everyone that we encounter. It is the mark of holiness. I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I'm just reminded of this, that Peter, when Jesus was taken for his passion, Peter, see, all of the disciples, everyone knew them. They looked different. Because the glory that was on the sun, as he walked in purity and holiness and walked after the will of the Father, splashed off on his disciples who walked with him. That's right. Jesus' words, John 17, he says, I have lost none that you have given me except the son of perdition. Judas is the only one. He says, I've kept them all. They look like him. They sounded like him. They moved like him. Because they walked in the light of his glory. The light of his beauty, his purity. So much so that Peter went over just to try to warm himself by the fire and stay inconspicuous. And those around said, you're one of them, aren't you? Peter hadn't said a word. Peter just was trying to warm himself and to stay out of the way. Holiness is to be a distinguishing mark about us as believers. That's clearly seen by everyone. Yeah. They will kill some of us because we look like him. All of the apostles gave their life for him. Except for John, who they tried to kill him multiple times and couldn't. So they just banned him to the Isle of Patmos and left him there. 
where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. But all of them, because they look like him. These are the words of the master. Anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus in this life will suffer persecution. We don't like that. We don't like those words. But yet we want to say, we want to build your house. We want to do your will. He says, but if you live godly, they're going to do to you what they did to me. No, no, we don't want that. So let's try to get everyone to like us. Let's make everyone like us. But he warned the children of Israel not to be like the people who they were coming into their cities. He says, don't marry their daughters. Don't give their, your daughters to their sons. Don't become like them because they'll take your heart away from me. We've done it. We've tried to get people to accept us and like us. And so we've lessened our stands. We've lessened the standard. Not knowing that we've become like the world around us. And the Lord in his love refuses to leave us that way. And he will shake the earth. We might not like the shaking. But I tell you, it's gotten your attention. It is to be a distinguishing mark about us as believers that everyone can see. There's something about you that's different. They told Peter, you're one of them, aren't you? You're, you're like the Nazarite. You're one of them. And Peter said, no, 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 no. No, that's not me. Because if I say yes, they might take me where Jesus is right now. And at this moment, I'm in my flesh and I'm afraid. See, we could say that now because just in a few short days, 50 days to be exact, Peter was not that way anymore. Why? The Holy Ghost came. Yeah. Infused him with power that he was willing to let everyone see who he was, so much so that when they came to crucify him, Peter says, you can't crucify me right side up. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. They turned him upside down and crucified him. He willingly accepted it. He relished it, the fact that I can give my life like my Lord gave his for me. Holiness is to be a distinguishing mark. They said to Peter, you're one of them. He says, I'm not. I'm not. They said, no. Uh -uh. You look different than everybody else. See, Jesus came. Remember the world at this point, Israel, the voice of God, the Bible tells us in Malachi, had grown dim. They weren't hearing the Lord. They weren't seeing the Lord. And in this 400-year period of silence, the Pharisees and Sadducees came. Religion was birthed in silence. So anyone who tells you that the voice of God should not be seen, that the miracles of God are over, religion is coming for you. It is a lie. In the midst of silence, religion was birthed. Those who wanted to control the narrative. Jesus came and his main, his main mission so to speak, because we could say he came to die for our sins. He did. He came to heal the sick. He did. He came to restore the broken, blind eyes, all of these things he did. 
but all of those are subheadings under the main heading. He came to reveal the Father. He came to reveal the Father, and the Father gives his life for his children. He sent his Son that he could have all of us. The Father heals. How do we know it's a, all these are subheadings? Because Jesus himself says, I don't operate in my own authority. He says, whatever I see the Father doing, that I do. Whatever I hear the Father saying, that's what I say. He came to reveal of the Father to a nation who had forgotten what he looked like. Right. To a generation who he, whom he was not revealed to by their parents and the previous generation. And so those who walked with him began to look different from the religious crowd that was all around them. They began to do things a little bit different than everyone around them was doing. They began to speak a little bit differently than everyone around them. And so it stood out. The A.W., I believe it's, no, 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 it was Leonard Ravenhill that says, when a, a, when a Christian finally gets his temperature up, to where he's supposed to be living. He said, in this day, he says, most people will think he has a fever. That's how low we're living. That's how cold we have become and we don't even know it. But holiness is a distinguishing mark that is stamped upon us. And everyone far and wide should see it and say, what is that? What is that on you? Every one of us should relish in the opportunity that we get to be persecuted and castigated and cut out of things simply because of who we are. I, I, I tell my children, uh, my boys, my daughter hasn't heard this from me yet, but my boys, I would tell them when they would go to school and things would happen, I would tell them, you're going to have people who don't like you just because. You're going to have people who don't like you because your father has darker skin tone and your mother has lighter. You're going to have people who don't like you because of that. And I said, but you're going to have a lot of others who don't like you because Jesus is your Lord. And they serve a different God. They follow the devil. And many won't even know it. And they just don't like you. And I said to my boys, you're going to have to learn to be okay with that. Not you do whatever you have to do to make them like you, to get them to, get them to accept you, and then maybe you can share the gospel. No, you do whatever you have to do to get them to like you, then they're going to make you serve their gospel, which is not the gospel of the kingdom. They're going to cause you to follow their ways and to love what they love. No, you live what he has called you to live and let the chips fall where they may. Because they will, people are looking for people who live the truth, who honor the truth, who uphold the truth, no matter the cost to their life. Where are the holy ones who say, heaven is my home, the Lord is my king, my master, my husband, and I will give my life for him. I will give my waking, my walking, my living life. And if it comes to the point where it is either my life or I lie to keep my life, take my life because I go to be with you. Where are the ones 
It's the distinguishing mark of the believers. They said to Peter, you're him. You're, you're, you're one of them. You're one of his followers. No, 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 no. Peter denied them a couple of times. And then finally, they said to Peter, no, 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 we know it. We can see it all over you. But they said, your speech betrays you. You no longer sound like us. You sound like him. So what did Peter do? Peter began, the Bible says, to swear and curse. And there are quote unquote Christians all over the place who use that scripture, use that passage to justify their disgusting and foul language out amongst the masses of people. You look no different and you probably are no different if you're using that scripture to justify your putrid, disgusting, foul language in the face of the Lord. But we use it. But Peter was using it because he was trying to get the people to leave him alone and to prove that he wasn't with Jesus. Right. It wasn't his normal language. They said right before, yeah, you're one of them because your speech is betraying you. You don't talk like us. And Peter began to swear. And immediately after he did it, the Bible says that the cock crew, the rooster crowed, he had denied him three times. And Peter ran and he wept. Why? Why did he run and weep? He was different. He was trying in that moment because of fear and worry and all of these emotions to just be still and silent. But the people were saying, you're like him. And he didn't want to lose his life. But 50 days later, something happened to this man. And he willingly gave his life. He gave it all for the gospel, preaching in, in open squares when, when, when he was hiding out. You, you have to understand this. When Jesus died and, and, and they placed him in the ground and he rose, he found the disciples hiding out. Why? Because the Romans were looking for them. The Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders were looking for them. They were hiding out. And Jesus walks in on them. But then when the Holy Spirit falls, they no longer are hiding out. They're going out into the midst of those who are seeking their life. Where are we today? Holiness, the distinguishing mark. And the third thing I mentioned, it is a weapon by which we wage war upon the kingdom of darkness. Kingdom of darkness. The devil and all of his horde of falling angels, all of them. They're forever attempting to get us to dirty the name of the Lord, to get us to walk out of his way and out of his plan. It is what temptation is. They're attempting to get us to forfeit the promise of God on our life. Scripture, chapter and verse, I'm not going to Job. In Job, chapter two, I believe it's verse one, chapter two. The Bible says that Satan was walking amongst the angels in the second heaven. Not the third, in the second heaven. And the father says to him, where have you been? What are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm going to and fro throughout the earth. Looking for who he can tear down and accuse. 
And the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? How he's upright, pure, holy. There's no one like him in the land. And Satan says, does he serve you for nothing? Take away his stuff. He'll curse you to his face. It gives you the picture of this back and forth. The Lord is showing us off as a proud father. And the enemy is forever tempting us to get us to walk out of the covering of the Lord, to walk out of his plan that he might accuse us and that he might tear the name of the Lord down in front of everyone. He tempts us and tries us to walk out of holiness, walk out of purity, that he can say, see, they don't even love you. Look at what they're doing. You've placed your mark on them and look at what they're doing to you. But holiness... If we are holding and if we're walking in this day and in this hour, no matter what's around us, it becomes a mighty weapon in the kingdom because the enemy cannot, he cannot enter. He cannot touch one who is holy. How do we know? Jesus said this on the night as he was preparing for the last supper and his uh, uh, passion and his crucifixion. Jesus says to his disciples as he's preparing them, he says, the enemy, that is the devil, is coming for me, but he has nothing in me. In other words, he has no right to me. Why? There's no sin in my life. I have not sinned against the Father. I have not broken a commandment. I have not forsaken him in any way. He has no right to me. And if we will walk in this place and posture of holiness, neither does he have a right to us. That's right. We open the door for him. We give him access. He has no access. If we remain in the posture of holiness and purity, it is a weapon that we wage warfare. It is a portion of the blueprint of building his house and building his life. Jesus finishes with the disciples and he says, nevertheless, even though he doesn't have the right to me, nevertheless, I go. Why? That the world might see how much I love my father. Jesus said, I do this for love because I love him. And I want the world to see an example of what it looks like to truly love. The Bible tells us that the enemy didn't even know how he got him. But had he known, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He wouldn't have done it. Why? He was shocked he had him. I didn't know, how did I get him? He got him. But it says he wouldn't have done it again. Why? Because on that third day, the Holy Spirit came down into hell where Jesus was and infused him with great glory and power. And once again, he was the exalted son of God. The Bible says in Colossians that he took the devil. It is the picture of a king who goes into someone else's kingdom, defeats them in their kingdom, and then takes him, their king, through the streets and makes an open show before his people saying, I am the greater. He did that to the devil, Colossians says. He takes him through hell and makes an open show of the devil right in hell, saying, I am the greater one, and I have all authority, all power. I have taken the keys, which symbolize authority, because keys open and close. Revelation tells us that he is the one who opens doors.
and shuts doors that no man can open. Our God, our Lord, our Savior has all authority and all power. If we really knew it, we would walk totally different from the rest of the world. If we really knew it, we would walk in boldness, in faith, and in power. If we really knew the authority that has been given to him, because we would know that the enemy can do nothing to me except it has been granted by the, my Father who is in heaven. Unless it had been allowed, holiness is a major weapon. A major, major weapon. It's heartbreaking that we no longer teach on holiness much from the, from the pulpits when it's vital for our walk with the Lord. Ephesians and Corinthians tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We wrestle against these things and fleshly we cannot overcome, but in the spirit we can. And it requires holiness because he says in Hebrews that we would not even be able to see him unless we walk in this place. First Peter 1.15 and then I'll jump over to Deuteronomy and get a few points done. First Peter 1.15 tells us, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but it bears mentioning now, bears mentioning next week, next month, next year. But as he who called you, ah, we like that. What has the Lord called you to do, we ask? What's the calling on your life? I'm called to this and I'm called to that. And, and yes, yes, we are. It's not to make light of them. But here's a calling. That, let, let me just say me. I haven't heard many people talk about this. But as he who called you is holy, the one who called us is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. In other words, he's saying the one who's called you is holy. There's a calling upon your life, my life to be holy as well. We like to talk about the offices that we're called to and the gifts that we've been called to operate in. But this right here says, I've also been called to a lifestyle to a way of living and it's holy it's pure he says in all your conduct when I read that word conduct I immediately went back to David where the Bible says of David that he behaved wisely in everything all of that is important why because we you and I we say we trust the Lord the Bible tells us that we're to, supposed to trust him we don't always talk about the fact that the Lord is looking to be able to trust us. You wonder why sometimes I'm, I haven't stepped into this or I'm, I haven't moved in this place. Maybe it's because the Lord sees where you are and he cannot trust you with that measure of glory. He can't trust you with this measure of responsibility just yet. Because I haven't measured my conduct. My conduct 
the way I go about life, the way I carry myself, the way I talk and my conversations and the things I do, my conduct hasn't come in line with his holiness. It's not mine. Bible in Hebrews tells me that he's called me into his holiness. My conduct hasn't been dipped in his blood and steeped in his presence long enough that I come out and I carry myself the way he would have me carry myself. Jesus' conduct, he did nothing wrong, nothing. And he came to do away with all sin and the control of it in my life. He told Cain in the beginning, sin desires to have you, but you are to rule, master over it. That's us as well. We're to master it. We master it by our conduct, by coming into this place of holiness and purity and embracing it and say, I embrace your way, not mine, not mine. Your holiness, your life, your way of doing things. It's the thoughts of my mind. It's what pervades through my heart because see, we, we want to focus on, con on, on actions and what you do not realizing that my actions and the things I do started from a thought. Yeah. Started from what I meditated on until they came out and I acted upon them. We've been called to this place. It's a weapon. It's a weapon. In Deuteronomy 7, let's, let's touch uh, just a couple of these. There, there are seven nations. that is mentioned here. Actually 10, but seven he talks about here. And these nations represents, represent areas that every believer must overcome to reach their destiny. What's the destiny we're after? It's the desire of his heart. It's his heart for my life. It's his heart with the deposit of his plan in me of the portion of the kingdom that I have a role to partake and build and be in. These nations represent areas that every, not some, every believer must overcome to reach their destiny. There's seven mentioned here in Deuteronomy, but there are three others that are not talked about. The Kenites, Kenizzites, and the Kadmonites, and, and those represented areas that the children of Israel, they're not mentioned here because they could overcome these nations without the full aid of the Lord, so to speak. And it is with us. The Lord aids us in all things, but these are areas that we could just overcome by our focus and our effort. And, and, and so they're not mentioned here. These seven nations, these giants, these areas in our lives, you will not, he writes, will not be able to conquer without him. Those other three, you will. 
But these seven, we need the aid. We need the help. We need the leading, the full support of the Lord. We will not conquer them, deal with these areas in our life. And as I mentioned, holiness is a major weapon. Let's read Deuteronomy 7. And I, I will read down to approximately verse 8. Excuse me. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess. Every one of us has something that the Lord is asking of us to possess. We are taking back territory for him. He says to the disciples, go and make disciples of nations. Go and train people up just like you, the same way I train you. This is his inheritance. And he says that the land which he's called you and me to possess for Israel here, it was Canaan. For you, it could be your family. For you. And you're extended to possess this land for him. It could be your, your neighborhood that you live in, the, the street that you live on. It could be your neighbor who is Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim. It, it could be a wide range of things, but we are possessing for his kingdom. And every one of us has a role to play. You and I are not the whole in and of ourselves. We are part of it. In us, the kingdom lies and wherever we go, kingdom draws near to all of those around us and we have been called to possess areas areas represent people and people lives he says when you go into the land which you go to possess and he has cast out many nations before you the Hittites the Girgashites the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jeb Jebusites. Seven nations, listen to what he says. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. These are seven areas in our lives. Seven enemies that come against us that are greater and mightier. He says, when they come out, he says, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, listen to this, this is so key. When the Lord God, Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. 
so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. This is a warning to even us this day. When we go into the world to possess areas, to possess spheres of society, to influence it for his glory, to take possession of ownership of places and stakes for him, he says, and I deliver these giants, I deliver these areas over to you. He says, don't play with them. Don't tolerate them. He says, conquer and utterly destroy. Conquer this area of your life when I've exposed it. I have its head on the chopping block. I have exposed it in you. I am freeing you. Conquer and utterly destroy it. Remove it from your family line. Remove it from your midst. Don't tolerate it any longer. He goes on. And I feel as though we here in the United States and thus the influence we've had on the world as so many has, have become wanting to come into the land of opportunity. We have caused people to be tolerant of things the Lord is intolerant of. Tolerant of issues, demonic forces that the enemy, that the Lord is exposing and he's saying, conquer it, destroy it from your midst. Do not play with it any longer. He says in verse 5, but thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars. Destroy the places that have been built for their own sacrifice and worship. Break down their sacred pillars. Cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. Here it is, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The reason you do this the reason we do this, the reason we don't tolerate the issues of this life and play around with what the devil has sown into the world around us, we don't play with these things, but we go on assignment to possess the land and to bring a people into the knowledge of Christ himself. Is he says, because you're a holy people. It's your identity, it's who you are. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. This is Deuteronomy 7, 6. And it sounds so similar to 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, 
who had obtained mercy, but uh, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We're holy. The Lord did not set, verse 7, his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any, than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know, know the Lord your God, verse 9. He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his covenant. Holiness is our weapon of warfare, as I mentioned. It is not just about what we do or don't do. It is about who we are, who we're to become, it is to be the essence of our lives. These nations that we're going to go over, these giants, these areas of compromise, these areas where the enemy wants to invade our lives and pull us down, make us weak before him, are to be conquered and utterly destroyed. We are not to make covenant with or show mercy to these nations, these giants, these areas in our lives. If we do, our lineage will be turned away from following the Lord. The first nation. And I'll, I'll just hit the first two and we'll go over the rest prayerfully next week. The Hittites. It means this word, this nation. It means fear or terror and represents a fear of failure. This nation, the name means fear or terror and represents a fear of failure all around us today. Fear is being unleashed and running rampant. We pray for Afghanistan at the beginning of service. There's fear and terror running rampant through the nation. We have fear and terror in our nation running rampant to paralyze us. You know, have you ever represents the fear of failure? Have you ever believed or started something? Felt as if you were supposed to do something, paint a portrait, start a business, write a book, start a ministry, whatever. But because there was a fear of failure, you became paralyzed and you didn't do anything. See, this demon here, it causes spiritual paralysis where we don't do anything because we don't think we are spiritual enough to accomplish it. The Lord says, I'm calling you into this place to do this. And we say, yeah, I don't have what it takes. But he told us at the beginning that these nations, these giants are too great to overcome. You can't do them without me. 
Hittites, meaning fear or terror, representing a fear of failure. Stopping you from ever getting started because you think, I can't do this, but the Lord told you, you can't do it, not without me. You need me. It paralyzes us. How many of us have been paralyzed and how many cemeteries are full of books unwritten, of businesses unstarted, of ministries that have not been created? How many uh, cemeteries are full of the creatives of God, those who've been commissioned, anointed, but yet they could not get started because of the fear of failure, paralysis, being in their midst. Yeah. I remember years ago, I was serving in a ministry at a church. This is the church where I gave my life to the Lord. And I remember years, I don't know how long I've been there at this point. I wind up being at this church nearly 10 years. But I remember I came to this point in my life that I felt as if the Lord was saying to me, say yes to the question and I will walk you through. And, and it was, he knew what was coming that I did not know. And he was training me and teaching me. And I remember sitting before my pastor at the time and him asking me, because we had a Bible college now at our, our church. And I remember him asking me, would you be able to write a curriculum on discipleship, on evangelism and discipleship? I had never done such, at that point, I had never done such a thing. But I looked at him and I said, yes. I never thought about failing. Therefore, the fear of failure at this moment could not creep up. I never thought that I could not do it. Therefore, I did not become paralyzed in it. I simply said to him, and maybe I was too foolish. Maybe I was too naive. Maybe I just wanted to please him so greatly that I said yes without even thinking, I've never done this before. I said yes and walked out of the office and I heard the Holy Spirit say, now I'll walk you and help you to do it. Fear of failure. It is this first giant, demonic giant in our life. Fear, terror, the fear of failure that causes paralysis in my life. It paralyzes me from ever taking the next step because I think, what if I don't do it? What if I can't do it? And the Lord says, without me, you can. But he says to his holy people that this giant in your life, you're to conquer it and utterly destroy it. We don't play with this. We don't play with terror. We don't play with fear. We don't play with the fear of failure. We don't tolerate it. We're called to conquer it when it is exposed, when its head is laid before us by the Lord. He says, when I bring them out to destroy them before you, he says, conquer and utterly destroy. And today the Lord is saying to us, in this hour, 
in 2021, August 15th, that we are to conquer and utterly destroy fear and the fear of failure before us. Because if we tolerate and play with it, we will not serve him any longer. That's right. That's right. We will not. It will cause us to take hold of all of fear's family member. Panic. We will take hold of panic and it will become us because we have not conquered and utterly destroyed this giant in our lives. So we take hold of, of panic. We take hold and we come into relationship with worry. We come into relationship with concern. We, we like to use that word concern. I was just concerned. And oftentimes it's simply another word for fear and the terror that you are feeling. So I was concerned about you. It's always about someone else, but it's really the fear I'm feeling in me. I was concerned. True concern always leads us back to the heart of the Father. That's right. Never That's away. Right. That's Never so away. Good. Never away. That's so good. In anything, when someone says they're concerned and they're leading you away from the heart of the Father into a place of fear, it is never godly concern. He says we're to utterly destroy it. In a nation, I'm telling you today, in a nation where the enemy is throwing fear at us at every wave, he, the Lord says, conquer and utterly destroy it. And someone says, how can I do that? I think we ought to have moments where we take our televisions and we take them outside. The entrance of the enemy into our homes, bringing fear, bringing terror over our household because we're watching the false prophets of the news and the media lying to us and all of these things. I think there's a day, and I have several in my house, that we begin to take the television sets and we take them out and take a bat. And you say, but I spent hundreds, but they've cost you years. And we just, we just destroyed them. We conquer and utterly destroy fear from being in my midst, from fear coming to rule my life. Because if I continue to tolerate fear, if we continue to tolerate terror, if we continue to come into marriage, come into relationship with the fear of failure, we will no longer serve God. Because to serve him requires great boldness. It requires great courage in the midst of fear. It requires going into places that I have no credibility, no qualifications to go into, except the Lord has said to go. I must, I must, we must in this hour, church, we must destroy this giant in our land. We must destroy this spirit that is wreaking havoc or else we will be a people that no longer serves the Lord. My Bible tells me that faith is the operating system of heaven is the operating system of the believer's life where I trust in the unseen that I believe against all odds in what the Lord is doing. But if I deal in fear, I cannot. My Bible tells me in John, the epistle of John, that that perfect love, mature, that word perfect, mature or complete love, banishes fear, which tells me 
that if fear is in my home, if fear is in my life, then mature love is not there. And if mature love is not there, then I am unable to live according to the precepts and walk out the ways of heaven. Why? Because God himself is love. And he came to impart love for God so loved the world that he gave giving this giving without expecting the reciprocation. No, it was giving that there would be a return on investment. There's giving of love that we're called to live this exact same way. We must deal with this. The, the second one, and we'll end with, with this one this week. Gergeshites. <laughs> he tells them, Deuteronomy 7, and he has cast out many nations before you. The Hittites, the Hittites, their fear, terror, the fear of failure. He's conquering, utterly destroyed them. And then the next one is the Gergeshites. The Gergeshites means stranger. It causes you to feel out of place everywhere you go. As though something were wrong with you. Wow. You don't belong anywhere. And when that happens, you isolate. Proverbs, I believe it's 18.1 says, He who isolates himself rages against all wise judgment and counsel. It's what the enemy wants to do to you. It's to isolate you. To separate you from everyone else. Why? Because no one will ever get you. You don't belong anywhere. There's no for you. It's a lie because there is a place for you. There is a place of people who are a family for you and a place that you belong. But this giant, this demon wants to make you a stranger everywhere you go. This one wants to make you feel as though God is not your father. You do not have a family in the heavens that there is no cloud of great witnesses according to Hebrews 12 that is cheering you on that is saying you can do it. No, they want to isolate you and make you, put you in a corner by yourself so you can rage against the counsel of the Lord. Rage against it and go against it and you never come into your destiny. Why? Because every one of our destinies will require people along the way. Every one of our destinies involves people people that we're to touch, people that we're to reach, people that we're to pour into, that pour into us. Everything involves people. Why? Because God so loved us. Right. He wanted a family. Right. But this spirit causes you to feel out of place everywhere you go. This spirit wants to make you feel like that you're forever and always doing something wrong. If something's wrong with you. You don't believe. But the Lord says, when I expose it, it's being exposed today. And I destroy this spirit before you, this nation, this area, this demon. When I destroy it, he says, utterly conquer it from your life and remove it from the midst of you. I remember when I lived with a part of this. I remember, and I'm going to close my Bible. I remember because of my own rejection 
growing up as a boy rejected by his parents, feeling so alone at so many different times. I can remember so often, every time, feeling that I always did something wrong. With everyone, everything, no matter the situation, that I was the problem. I always did something wrong. Until one day, I said to the Lord, the Holy Spirit, working the night managership at the restaurant I was managing. I was tired of feeling this way. I've been moving in ministry in different ways, but constantly felt like there was a glass ceiling. Why? You feel out of place, as though something is wrong with you. It's as if the Lord can't overcome your deficiencies. He can overcome everyone else's, but he can't overcome yours. He can forgive everyone else, but you, you're just too dirty. He can't forgive you. And I was tired of feeling the glass ceiling. And I cried out in the wee hours of the morning, what is wrong with me? And instantly, no hesitation, I heard the Holy Spirit say you were rejected from your mother's womb and you have lived your life in an attempt to get everyone to affirm you and accept you. And what your parents should have given you when you were a little boy, I am the only one who can give it to you now. Kirkashai. Feeling out of place everywhere you go. Feeling as though something is wrong with you and you do not belong. It's a spirit coming in an area, an issue of life that is simply trying to separate you completely and totally from the family of God everywhere, from the bigger picture of God's family, of God's kingdom, and make you feel like you're a problem, but you are. The enemy is attempting to isolate you and cut your gift off from being released into the earth. And the Lord says, I expose it. I destroy it. Now you conquer it. Conquer it in your life. Conquer it in your midst. It is destroyed. Don't resurrect it. And utterly destroy it. The Hittites. Fear. Terror. Stranger. Out of place. Even if you're the only one there who believes as you do. Even if you're the only one in your family serving the Lord, you're not alone. Even if you're in a region filled with complete darkness and you're the only one that you know of there, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. He tells Elijah, when Elijah being tired and worn down from his mocking of the false prophets all day and then his destroying of the false prophets of Baal. Jezebel threatens his life and because he's exhausted and worn out, fear grips him and he runs for his life. When the Lord didn't tell him to go anywhere. An angel of the Lord finds him under a tree sleeping, wakes him up and says, eat. 
the journey is too great for you. He falls back to sleep. The angel of the Lord wakes him again after some time, has him eat and drink again. Then he goes in the cave and the Lord appears and says to him, why are you here? And he says, I'm the only one. I'm the only one here. I'm the only one that's left. Jezebel has killed everybody. Now she's trying to kill me. And the Lord says, you're not alone. You're not the only one left. I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. I have a remnant that has been put up, hidden for this moment. Don't, don't discount your time of being hidden as though God has forgotten about you and left you. That's right. You don't know the day of your revealing and what it will do for those around you. That's right. The courage, the confidence it will bring to you're not alone. So if anybody is dealing with either these two areas, right where you are watching, those of us here, if that's you, I want you to stand if fear and terror is gripping you. If you feel like you're the only one, you feel out of place everywhere that you go, that there is not a place for you, I'm here to tell you that there is a family for you, that there is a place of belonging for you. You are part of the household of God and you are not alone. And if fear and terror is gripping your heart, I'm telling you today is the day of deliverance and the day of freedom. God is exposing the lies, exposing the terror, exposing the fear all over. He's putting the enemy's head on the chop, chopping block. And he's calling his sons and daughters out of hiding saying, conquer and destroy fear. Conquer it. If that's you, I want you to stand and we're going to pray together as we close. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for calling us to this place of being a people of your holiness. People like you, holy like you. We thank you that our holiness is, is a weapon. And right now, we embrace your holiness that we might deal with these two areas of our life, that we might have great confidence and great boldness to stand with you, to walk with you, to walk where you have us to walk. And right now, in Jesus' name, we openly declare that we want no part of fear, terror, the failure of fear in our life. We come out of agreement and alignment now in Jesus' name. And we agree with you and step into faith. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to real, reveal to us now. Reveal to us now what we must do, what steps we must take, practical steps to conquer and utterly destroy fear from our midst from our lives, from the lives of our family. What practical steps? Maybe it's getting rid of our tablets, devices. Maybe it's getting, deleting social media accounts. Maybe it's turning off TV, getting rid of the cable TV 
subscription, whatever, whatever it may be, practical. Maybe it is coming out of relationship with someone whom I've been with that leads me into fear and drama every single day. But we ask you right now, reveal to us that we come out of this and we walk free now in Jesus' name. And we thank you right now, Father. I thank you for every one of us who feels alone and feels lonely and feels like they're the only one. It feels like they are by themselves, that they have no support, no comfort, that they feel as though that they're the only one. They have no place of belonging, no people. And I ask you to expose and destroy this life, lie inside of their life. And when you expose it and destroy it, I thank you for strengthening my brothers and my sisters now to stand up and conquer it and utterly destroy it from the midst of them. Because there is a family. You are our father. Our father you are. And we have family. Open our eyes to see our true family. Open our eyes to see the place of our belonging. Help us not chase the popular, not chase what everyone else is chasing to build a family there, but reveal the place where we will be loved, that we will, be, will grow up into the fullness of who you've called us to be and there plant ourselves, lock ourselves in and be your family. Yes, Jesus. So we thank you for this. We honor you. We magnify you today in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen and amen. Well, bless you for joining us today. Bless those of you who are watching us via social media. Uh, remember midday meditation this Friday at noon, as well as the prayer room will be open. House of prayer will be open this Friday from 2 to 4. Uh, well, you know, maybe four to six as well. I'll give you updated time. So bless you. We love you. And we will see you soon. Bye-bye.